Well, last night we spoke with Conservative Cabinet Minister Lisa Raitt, former Conservative Cabinet Minister Lisa Raitt, about the incident uh, involving uh, Christia Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister in Grand Prairie, last Friday. She was verbally attacked by a man who wandered into, uh, who had followed her into Grand Prairie City Hall. Uh, it was a tirade of abuse aimed at both her and her staff. Well, today we found out uh, that the RCMP is in fact investigating that incident. In a statement today, the force says investigators are looking into the incident, adding that the force takes threats against public officials seriously. Uh, The Prime Minister today was asked about the rise in threats directed towards politicians in general. We know we've been hearing from politicians from all parties talking about uh, just how much worse it has gotten, what they've faced in recent times. He says Canadians have been through a lot in the past few years and people in positions of power should respond to that pressure in a positive way. It's time for people to uh, look to assuage fears and angers, uh, to respond with a positive vision of the future. The Prime Minister there, of course, some accuse him of not doing that himself. But the RCMP says physical or verbal threats to politicians, whether in person or online, can have significant effects and may lead to criminal charges. Now, of course, as I mentioned, the incident has led to a lot of reaction. We heard from former Conservative uh, Cabinet Minister Lisa Raitt. You can find that interview on our podcast, a little more conversation. Um, But they're also sharing condemnation and sharing their personal experiences. Last night, Lisa Raitt spoke of being sort of uh, approached and attacked verbally at a hockey game when she was with her children. So they've been sharing those personal experiences. Uh, Many, of course, have no problem putting themselves in the Deputy Prime Minister's shoes. One of those people is the Mayor of Calgary, Jyoti Gondek. Uh, She became the city's first female mayor when she was elected last October. And in a social media thread, something she posted to Twitter earlier this week, she's calling for more than words of condemnation now. She wants more to be done to protect those who are being targeted uh, in these situations. And joining me now is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on, Ben. just your reaction, I guess, to the, what we heard today, which is that the RCMP is, in fact, investigating what happened on Friday in Grand Prairie. Does that bring you any solace at all about uh, how this how this whole incident is being handled? Well, I mean, I'm glad they're investigating. I hope they're also investigating um, all of the information that has been given to them by the journalists that are being targeted right now um, in an organized campaign. I hope all of these events are being investigated. And that was the whole purpose of me posting what I did. We need to start taking these things seriously. Yeah, I mean, I read through what you posted on social media. I invite listeners to go have a look as well. It's 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 long. It's, I think, 16 or 17 different tweets. So it's really a full statement. But I realized it took you a while to sort of collect your thoughts and, and put what you wanted to say down. Why was that? Well, you know, it's not like something just happened to me the other day. And so I decided to post about it. This is an ongoing pattern of behavior that um, women in politics experience. And now we know that women in journalism are experiencing as well. And it's just ratcheting up and it's getting worse. So the issue is that when things like this happen, you compartmentalize them, you put them in a box, if you will, and you tuck them away so you can get on with the rest of your job. Because you can't sit and think about these things and actually process the emotion because it would be too hard to do your job. So you tuck them away. And I've been doing that for years. And so to see this happen, um, my thoughts over the couple of days before I posted were around, should I say something? And do I have a responsibility to use my platform to to amplify voices that are going unheard? 
And it was a decision I made to go public with this because I thought people need to hear that this is happening everywhere. What was your reaction when you saw the video? I spoke to Lisa Raitt yesterday, and and I I guess it's all too easy to put yourself in Christia Freeland and her staff's shoes that day. Yeah, I mean, someone showed it to me, and I watched a couple of seconds and said, turn it off, I can't watch this right now. And I put it away, and I turned it on later. I've only seen the short version. I haven't seen the extended version that I hear is out there as well. Um, Just to watch the Deputy Prime Minister turn away and get into the elevator and plaster a smile on her face and her staff basically surround her and try to block her and, and have, you know, agreeable looks on their faces. Yeah. It's very easy to put yourself in that position because I've been in that position. You you're, you're taught to not interact. You're taught to, you know, smile, to bring the temperature down in the situation. It was all too familiar. When you first went into public life, because I know obviously you'd had a long career and a long career doing other important stuff. But when you first went into public life, how soon into that journey did you encounter this? And and what was your reaction? Because you might not have been in the in, in previous positions. You might not have had to learn how to put on that face. Well, as a woman in any career, you need to learn to put on that face because right. you experience these things. So I wasn't new to it. I would have to say the incident in 2017 when I was a candidate, not yet elected, of having a man looming over me, um, telling me he would ensure I never won and that he knew where I lived, that was unnerving. And to have to do a full debate minutes later, um, once again, requires tucking that away, getting through what you need to do, and then moving on. And every time we do that, we deny the public from knowing the things that we are experiencing. And it's, it seems so important because I think the rationale behind that was always to deny those doing the abuse um, any oxygen. But with social media, it, you, can't, you can't deny them the oxygen anymore. So the, the, the dynamic has changed. It feels like it's changed so much in the past few years when it comes to these sorts of incidents. Well, and they used to be somewhat random and they tended to be kind of isolated. They're not anymore. They're incredibly organized. These are, you know, folks on a mission to eliminate good people from doing work. And when I say eliminate, I don't know what that looks like for them, but I can tell you they're hoping we quit and we're not going to quit. The fear that I talked about, the fear that nobody wants to mention because, you know, it's perceived that fear equals weakness You have to understand that a person can feel fear and tuck it away and keep doing their job. We don't have to live in fear. Most of us are living with the fear. And that's important for people to know, like the way legislation is written and the way, you know, prosecution happens is by a victim having to demonstrate that they're fearful, they feel intimidated. Why not just write the legislation in a way that says you cannot act in this manner? So All of the onus right now is on the victim when it should be, in fact, on the perpetrators. You mentioned in that series of tweets as well that it felt like a lot of people were screaming into a void. What did you mean by that? I've read the posts from female journalists in our country who have been targeted in a very organized way. And I've listened to their conversations with the people to whom they were trying to report this. And we, as a society, we're not listening. We're not listening and we're not acting. So it's incredibly frustrating for those women to be strong enough and come forward and say, look, these things are happening to me. 
and nothing changes. So you know what? Strength in numbers, I guess, is, is the approach I'm taking. The more of us that speak up about this and demand action, maybe something will change. I'm going to ask you, obviously, we'll talk about what those solutions might look like. But I think one of the things you pointed out, which I remember all too well from um, obviously covering uh, England at a time when uh, when the MP Joe Cox was killed. Um, I was back here at that point, but I'd covered England for a very long time, so paid a lot of attention. We know where this can go, right? We know where this can go. And I think that's what I'm seeing now is this fear that it's going to take something truly horrific before anyone stands up and says, okay, enough. That's what I'm worried about. And that's what I would like to avoid. And that's why I need people who have the ability to change the laws, to change the policies, to change the thresholds by which you can charge someone, to change the threshold by which you can actually prosecute someone. I need them to do their work. Asking me to come up with solutions is unfair. I've already got a job. I'm telling you that this is real. So I need them to step up and start taking some actions. Um, you know, I, I would have to say that Calgary Police Service has been incredibly good in explaining to myself, to members of the public, we're having a very difficult time laying charges in some cases because the threshold is too high. But if that's the case, the Crown needs to do something about that threshold. It seems very well organized. And that's the sense you're getting too. You talked about it earlier. It was random before. It doesn't feel random anymore. It used to feel like a random individual was coming up to you to say things, or do things to intimidate you. Now there's a pattern of behavior and it's the same person in many cases. So yes, I would definitely call this organized. And I would say, because it's organized, we need to look deeper into the roots of how this has taken hold, who these organizations are, who they're targeting, and who they are actively recruiting. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that are speculating this is all because of COVID. You know, okay, I can understand that. But you have to understand that the recruitment process has become easier because so many people were in positions of isolation that made them feel quite desolate and quite desperate for some sense of community or belonging. And now these groups are actively preying on those folks as well. So it, this is a very complex and deep-rooted problem that needs to be considered from a variety of perspectives. Yeah, I, because obviously there's a fine line between you know debate or saying what you think or calling out a politician, which is a time-honored tradition, and the sorts of abuse and intimidation that we've seen more of now. And where does that line get drawn? Absolutely. And you know what? It depends on the reaction of the individual. I have to commend the deputy prime minister and her team in particular for just quietly getting on that elevator and removing themselves from the situation. I, I don't know what would have happened if she had engaged with this individual. And those are the kinds of things we need to consider. Human beings are who they are. You cannot expect everyone to react the same way. And you don't know how badly someone is going to keep provoking someone looking for a reaction. And that's when things start to escalate. That's what worries me. You're meeting with the deputy prime minister later. What, uh, what do you hope to tell her? What do you hope to learn? Well, our city right now um, is experiencing a crisis, as are all cities across the country. We have increased rates of crime and social disorder. We have people in really desperate situations. Um, and I'm looking to the federal government to help come up with an urban strategy that really helps our cities come out of this. We need to link things like housing, 
uh, mental health issues and addiction together. And it's got to be all three orders of government working on this. So I'm going to use my very brief opportunity to meet with her to talk about what my city needs. I suspect that someone in her office, if not herself, will have seen uh, what you wrote. I imagine the incident on Friday might come up. It may come up. I did send her a note after that incident, just letting her know that, um, you know, I appreciate her strength. So maybe we'll have a conversation about it and maybe we will just talk shop. In the short term, and I know that solutions should be left to others because, you know, as you said, you have a job to do and it uh, and it's a busy one. Um, but in the short term, what are some of the things you would like to see done beyond because you, you wrote about this in your Twitter thread? You talked about the fact that it's all nice for everything to people to condemn something for words of support to be thrown out there. But you said it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough now. now what could be done, do you think? I think. The Crown needs to look seriously at where their hands are tied. I think, um, you know, municipalities and citizens need to rally together with their police services, demanding better thresholds that are actually achievable when people are seeing these sorts of things happen. I think we have to take the onus off the victim and we have to put it onto the perpetrator. I think actions are the things that need to be highlighted and not the, you know, feelings of the victim. That is a lot to ask of somebody that's already been through enough. In your experience, the people around, how much support have you gotten when these things happen? How many people there would stand up and say something and and act if someone was doing what we saw happen in Grand Prairie? Uh, It's hard to say. Again, human nature is unpredictable. I think people go into a bit of shock when they see something like this. Um, And sometimes they don't know what's happening. Like, My incident in 2017, people on my team thought this was somebody I knew until they saw the body language. And then they came in and intervened. And no one wants to make a scene. That's the other thing, right? So you quietly try to disengage from the situation. And that just emboldens the other person even more. So I would say there's a lot of really good people out there. But it takes them a second or two to figure out exactly what's happening. And then they've got to consider their own safety. So, you know, if you've got a mom with a couple of kids watching something like this, is she going to jump into the fray? Probably not. And I don't blame her. You know, so there's there's all kinds of situations that could play out. And I think people are largely good people, but no one expects this to happen. And so your reaction is sometimes a little bit slow to come. I guess therein lies uh, the power of the intimidator, right? They are there in control of that situation because they're the ones who are acting out of character and everyone else is thrown off guard for just a little bit. And as you mentioned, that first reaction is just to put your head down and disengage, right? Well, and this is the person that organized this. This person knows exactly what they are going to do. This is someone that's probably spent you know, so much time obsessing about, wow, if I see that person, this is what I'm going to do. And if they have other people with them in some sort of an organized manner, then it becomes a situation that if you ever see this person, this is how you should manage it. And here's the worst part. Public officials sometimes feel an obligation to the public to release an itinerary showing where they're going to be. Like, you know that I'm going to be meeting with the deputy prime minister because her itinerary is released. Mm -hmm. So as public officials, we're in an incredibly delicate position. When we tell people where we're going to be, we put the public in jeopardy. I mean, what if that had been at an event? You know, like I'm very cautious about announcing where I'm going to be. I always talk about where I was because I worry 
about subjecting people to this type of a thing if someone is targeting me. You worry about the event organizers. You worry about the people who came to participate. You don't want to ruin everybody else's event by showing up and being a target. So it's, it's tough to navigate. Jyoti Gondek, thank you so much for weighing in on this. Um, good luck with your meeting with the Deputy Prime Minister, and I look forward to catching up again. Thanks so much, Ben. Have a good day. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.